This podcast is a part of the Podmania Podcasting Network. Check out podmania.co.uk to check out more of our great podcasts, features, reviews, match ratings and previews spanning the crazy and diverse world of professional wrestling. Hello, my name is Simon Miller from What Culture Wrestling and you are listening to the Podmania Pro Wrestling Podcast and you better keep listening to it. Why? Here's why. You're listening to the Podmania Pro Wrestling Podcast, a sample of the best pro wrestling podcasts we can produce on our tiny budget. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict, CastBox, and all other podcast platforms. If it's wrestling you want, check out more of our great content at podmania.co.uk. Let's do this. Bonus episode of the Pod Mania podcast. I'm your host, Rob Good, and I'm joined, as always, by Garth and Chris. Chris, how are you? Confused because I've noticed the trend recently on the internet of uh, B Gay doing crimes, which I'm completely down with, but we're very unspecific about what crimes I should be doing. So, like, I murdered someone, and I'm not quite sure that's what they meant. <laughs> I just have no words. Garth, how are um, you? Confused at that last comment. <laughs> Mate, I've yeah, just good. just given up. Just given up. Just what we do is we just <laughs> I, I, I genuinely don't that's that's not me for six. I don't really know what to say to that, Chris. <laughs> not me for six, like this list. Oh, oh my god, the you are so good, Garth. We don't give you enough credit. You are good. You are pretty good at this, aren't you? This whole wrestling podcast malarkey. It's just—it's been a dive of confidence all the time. <laughs> it's a fucking talent, isn't it? Um, so obviously, on Sunday, the tenth of May, this coming Sunday. Uh, the WWE are going to be giving us their very, very bizarre interpretation of WWE Money in the Bank 2020, where a man and a woman will get the opportunity to cash in a Money in the Bank contract to get a championship match of their choice. Now, what we're going to do today is we are going to give our top six Money in the Bank cash-ins. Money in the Bank, of course, has been going since 2005. It used to be a staple of WrestleMania and then became its own pay-per-view. There have been lots of iconic Money in the Bank cash-ins. Some iconic because they've been good. Some iconic because they have been utter crap. And what we're going to do is we are going... (laughs) Baron Corbin, Damian Sandow. We are going to give you... Our top six money in the bank cash-ins. Why six, you ask? Because five's too mainstream and wrestling with regret does eight. So we are doing Wait, top sixes. When is seven, they're odd numbers, aren't they? They just they don't seem right to do an odd number, even though five is an odd number. Shut six up, Chris. Is double on them, Russell, shut up. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> Also, it means we can, in, f- in future, just pick two each. That is true. That is true. It works out well. So, let's get straight into it. So, number six 
we have got CM Punk cashing in his Money in the Bank contract at Extreme Rules 2009 on Jeff Hardy. Now, Chris, you chose this one specifically, and you've been a big advocate of this one. Why did you choose this one in particular? I don't think you quite understand how angry 11-year-old Chris was when this happened. So talk us through it. Talk about your your money in the bank roller coaster, as it were. Right. So um, I was a fan of CM Punk back in the day. Guy with long hair. I can I can appreciate that. Um, he likes Pepsi. I also like Pepsi. But but we we, we vibe me and him. Um, and he won money in the bank second year in a row. He, had, he was a world champion last year. I don't know how booking works. I'm like okay, it'd be cool for him to happen again. The guessing, but. Jeff Hardy, my favourite at the time, because um, he jumped off big things, like, and I like that in a man. Um, he was chasing the world championship, finally beat Edge for the world championship after so much bullshit, and then CM Punk comes out and cashes in, and I'm like, no, he finally got the world title, he finally beat Edge, the bastard, and now he has the championship. And like, to be fair... It's partly here because of of how mad it made eleven year old Chris, but also, oh my god, the storyline it set up was incredible. Like that summer of Hardy and Punk feuding, people seem to forget how amazing that feud is, like and how natural that feud feud was. And it's because let's be honest, Jeff Hardy's never cut a good promo in his life. It was like all the great promo work in that feud was down to, um, was down to Punk, and quite frankly, a lot of Money in the Bank cash-ins, but kind of samey, so you can't really just go and cash it alone. I think part of it does have to be what happened afterwards, and because of the amazing feud that happened afterwards, I think it can't really be denied when stacked up to the other ones. Garth, do you remember anything about this cash-in? <clears throat> um, the, only th- the only thing I really remember is... Um, and I watched it back before just to make sure I wasn't thinking of something else. But I always remember the look on Punk's face when um, Hardy kicks out the first go to sleep. Because it's like, because I remember like, I can't remember watching it live at the time, but I remember watching it thinking, shit, this cushion's going to go tits up. <laughs> and obviously hits the second one, but does it. And Hardy sells it quite well because obviously Hardy's screwed up after the match but uh, I, I always remember the camera like zooming in on Punk's face and he was absolutely like what the fuck <laughs> I was like oh, I didn't really care about Punk winning or anything <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll you I mean, going off what you said, Chris, they were the complete antithesis of each other. You had the straight-edge superstar against the person who was so <laughs> deep into drugs and stuff and just he had that entire dark side of him. It just it worked so well into a natural so, storyline. So deep on drugs that Sting had to literally force him to lose a match. Oh, my God. <laughs> the greatest, the greatest main event in TNA history. This was two years in the future for uh, for Jeff Hardy. It was a horrible little uh, foreshadowing, I think. Um, but yeah, and then have you seen the video of him in a diner saying CM Punk? I made you a motherfucking superstar. Yes, <laughs> Jeff Hardy certainly was approaching rock bottom in this uh, in this sort of time. The amazing part about that video was then Matt Hardy was also off his tits as well, 
and it's just like because CM Punk was dating um, Lita at the time, and he he was sitting at the table going, "I do not know about the relationship status of Amy Dumas." And it's like, oh god, it's like five years later, are you not over her yet? Um, <laughs> yeah, it was it was heartbreaking because at at the time, both CM Punk and Jeff Hardy were babyface, but everybody, you know, taking you know, age eleven Chris as uh, as our demographic, everybody absolutely loved Jeff Hardy and wanted to see him to ascend to that championship position, that position that had always, uh, you know, eluded him until, you know, until this time. He'd finally beaten Edge, which Edge was a prick. Amazing, <laughs> but a prick. Um, and to have this cathartic moment of finally doing these things, to then have CM Punk come in and ruin everything, irrelevant of him being a babyface, it just... The reaction, the involuntary reaction of a lot of the fan base was, "What the fuck is this prick doing now? <laughs> L- leave our Jeff alone! Leave our Jeff alone!" Um, I mean, it's unfortunate that it was so. That aside from the storyline that it that it provoked between the two, it's not really that memorable, is it? It's a generic money the bank cashing, but when you get to this sort of stage of money the bank cashing. They're all kind of the fucking same. Like, you look at the punk one from the year before, the Edge one. Like, for the most part, like, they're all, there's only so much you can do with this formula. And it's either can be, you can cash in beforehand, which we'll see um, later in this list, and also in the case of, like, Lesnar and Kofi, which was a dumpster fire, which might as well have been a surprise cash in. Mm-hmm. Or, like, yeah, something like this. So, like, I think at this stage of the list, you do kind of need to assess how the storyline it created because like what did this beat out this beat out edge on taker yeah that was the other option to go in at six yeah which in the same vein caused a decent story but also like is also just a normal cashing yeah i mean don't forget that such classics as jack swagger cashing his him <laughs> cashing in his money in the bank ladder uh contract didn't make this list somehow spoilers so yeah he it's weird though about Jack Swagger. He, he strikes a remarkable resemblance to Jake Hager. Yeah, the, he seems to have fallen off the face of the earth, doesn't he? That Jack Swagger. Yeah, I wonder where he is nowadays. <laughs> but, like, rumor is his rumor is his wife doesn't mind in the house because he win matches. I mean, I don't want to match relax. <laughs> that is true, actually. After he lost to Moxley, I wonder if she did let him in the house. I mean, like, you don't want to be homeless during COVID-19, indeed. Absolutely not. Um, Moving on, then. Let's go to number five. So number five is Dean Ambrose cashing in his Money in the Bank contract the same night he won it at Money in the Bank 2016. Now, I was a huge advocate for this to go in because this similar to you chris it was it was notable for it being a same night cash in the second same night cash in after kane but not only that it was the culmination of a storyline because obviously seth broke up the shield would then go on to become champion would then lose it due to injury would then beat reigns for it but before this, Dean had had the feud of the year with Seth on the back of the Shield breakup, and 
Seth had always managed to squirrel away from it, had always managed to come out trumps because of, you know, J&J security or the authority. We all remember those storylines. But this moment where, you know, the wacky, not-to-be-taken-seriously Dean Ambrose not only wins the Money in the Bank contract, but then cashes in the same night during a match with Reigns. So you've got that, you know, because don't forget, at that point the shield triple threat hadn't happened you'd got that ghost shield triple threat it was just it was one of those moments where the entire place erupted when it happened and yet was it the best cash in no was it the best title reign let's be honest no it wasn't <laughs> but for the moment the moment it bought again like the punk uh, one in the previous um, entry the moment that it brought the storyline that it brought forward and would ultimately come to an end worked. I thought it was great. And I know that me and Garth reviewed this on a retro pay-per-view. Go and check it out in the archives. And, you know, we loved this moment. It was, you know, the high points of the pay-per-view because Dean deserved this moment. He was no longer just wacky. I'm going to squirt you in the face with mustard, Dean Ambrose. He was the fucking world champion. It added an entirely new side to him. Um, Goth, what did you think of this? Yeah, like you say, like when we reviewed it and we watched it, it, it was sort of that immediate pop. And because it's the swell before it as well, like you can see this fans slowly sort of getting up. And because of, because of the history and because of all the times that um, Rollins had squirmed his way out of it, like the chicken shit he really was, it it was always those near misses. So they all built up to that moment. So when he got it, it was like it was everyone was happy, but it was also kind of re- relief. It was like finally, like the good guy gets the gold in the end, and it was yeah. And I think it's something that that that's what's good about the money in the bank when it's done well, and it's something like that. That's what makes it a good thing. Um. Sometimes they don't go that way, though. Um, and that's, that's when it sort of out as well. But this time was perfect because, like I said, it was the same night and Rollins had avoided sort of Ambrose all the way before this. And that night when Ambrose won it, it was like, no way. Like I remember watching it and thinking, is he going to cash in tonight? Because obviously he's wanted Rollins all this time. And when he does, it was like, it was like, yes. Like when you see him cash in, it was like fucking get it. Like yeah, it was really good. Chris, what about you? Um, I'm really conflicted about um saying like cash ins, but what you need, what you sort of need to come back to is that a long term money in the bank holder has to be a heel because it's a, at the end of the day, it's a heel tactic to cash in money in the bank. Mm-hmm. So like it, it, Ambrose, this is really the only way to make sense of him cashing in. Um, I remember again, naturally set up the show triple threat. It's normally quite hard to set up triple threats, and it's also hard to remember a time where Shield storylines weren't fucking tired. Like they really milked the Shield for everything they were worth by the end mm. of the run. Like. 
where they had like one natural reunion and then like it just continued being wank for a long time until Moxley left. But yeah, like a natural set for Triple Threat because Roman had a um, rematch for for the title he just lost. Um, Seth. Ah, oh, Seth um, got pinned by Ambrose and had a lot of rematches. Like, we still have a rematch. I'm the champion. Yeah, sure. What people seem to forget is in the lead up to actually the fact Reigns is off TV because of drugs. Took his door. Um, but yeah, like, I don't think this would have been half as special if it wasn't on the same night. And like without the context surrounding it, because you think of the other um, same day cash in, I'm like, oh yeah, Kane won, and we did a weirdly contrived thing to enter an Undertaker feud. And like to be fair, um, imagine like Kane carrying around a briefcase. Oh, I can <laughs> now. He's a mayor, so I guess he does. But still, um, yeah, no, this this number one was not a ton to talk about. It's sort of standard cash in, really. So, let's move then to number four. And number four on this list is Rob Van Dam, who cashed in his Money in the Bank contract at ECW One Night Stand. Famous, of course, for that main event against John Cena. If John Cena wins, we riot. He is the first, mm-hmm. and to my knowledge, the only person who has given their competitor, or the person they're going to challenge, prior knowledge of the event that they are going to challenge for. Challenge yeah. at, Lass- should I say. Did Lassner do that with, the money, with his money back? Was that the Lass- same it? thing? Let's have a look. Let's have a I look. Mean, didn't, it, it was definitely billed beforehand. Also, Cena did it with CM Punk. Did he? Let's have a look. Yeah. He was definitely the first. Yeah, I would be interested because he's only the second holder. <laughs> Do, 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 do. Cena definitely did it out with Punk. He won money in the bank and then said, Punk, I'm giving you till Raw 1000. We're fighting at Raw 1000 and I'm catching this in. Is that when he lost it because someone got DQ'd? Oh no, that was uh, that was 2012. When he held it for eight days, then cashed in, then didn't win it because he won by disqualification, which I think is brilliant. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> this cash in was iconic. Not only did it happen at the home of ECW, but that fucking crowd, that crowd were absolutely rabid. I mean, he won the contract at WrestleMania 22. He then held it for 70 days, gave John Cena the notice, I'm coming for you, buddy. And it wasn't quite at the John Cena wins lull point, but I think everyone just assumed, are they going to put it on Rob Van Dam? The stoner? Really? But then, obviously, that moment where he wins, admittedly because of Ed's shenanigans, dressed mm-hmm. as some manner of motorcyclist, but I don't think that took away too much from, from it. him having the fast, the fast can. Yeah, I, I still don't think, in the grand scheme of things, the grand scheme of this cash-in, you talk to people about it, they don't automatically go, yeah, but he only won it via Edge. Yeah, but he only won it because of the Heyman fast count. No, people remember it because of the way that it was done, where it was done, and the fact that, you know, Rob Van Dam won at ECW. You know, it was that story beat. Yeah, it kind of goes back to 
money's about being a heel tactic. So, like, if you have a big face slunk, either do you hold it? That's probably the best way to do it. Doing it on home to what people need to seem to forget is how weird one night stand 2006 was compared to 2005. And 2005, you had like, honestly, God, ECW matches. Like, you had a Masato Tanaka versus Mike Arson match. It was like a natural ECW card. And then this year, you had Randy Orton versus Kurt Angle. For some reason, because to be fair, half of the ECW roster had signed to yeah. TNA. But yeah, like so this is it was, it was essentially a one match card bit because like the rest of it was whack, really. Um, and in terms of like a crowd, like that image of John Cena holding the title up, head down, like the shadow of the cap covering it, covering his eyes, like the only um, crowd I can think that hated Cena more was against CM Punk in Chicago. I, I run it, yeah, the money was uncapable. Um, it, it was amazing. I mean, it was a really good um, match. <laughs> the sequence where Cena's um, trying to throw a shirt into the crowd, <clears throat> throwing it back. <laughs> and, I'd forgotten like, about other that. Crowds, other crowds have done that since, but it's just not as perfect because like it's because it was like like it was as if it was like the ecw rebels yeah you know what's even more amazing you can see some people could then mark looking at the t-shirt they can kind of want it i think seeing a yeah. bunch of new yorkers around them it's like if you don't sell that package i'm <laughs> gonna fucking rip it off <laughs> yeah. then someone wiped their ass someone wiped their nose after the guy wiped his ass it was all disgusting but like it was a different time so, Garth, what well, do you, you think? Same sort of thing. I just love, I love the 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 fact that he called him out, laid it down, and said this is going to happen. And I mean, because Cena was Cena still kind of heel then. No, he was he was baby face ever since his feud with JBL. Everyone mm. like. It, if you look at the main before that, it was... Because um, RVD it, was obviously sort of, like, the good, not the good guy, but, like, the, favorite, the fan favourite. It's sort of like... It's, it's so used to textual babyface. Like, for example, in the Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, you Shawn, Shawn was, like, face in America, mm-hmm. and uh, then heel in... Really heel in Canada. Just the fact he calls him out, gives us a little promo, and then just gives John Cena a slap. And... Uh, and then they have a big brawl, and then obviously the the match. I I loved that match; like it was really good. But it's the the bit where obviously Cena, it, it's the build up to the to cashing in where Cena's in the ring, and I, it's another one of those ones where Cena's in the ring celebrating with his belt, and then obviously his music hits, and he's just like, "Oh, what the fuck!" As if to say, "Like, what's this guy doing? <laughs> like, how dare he come in?" And then obviously comes in, and the crowd go mental. This is when RVD was great. Because <laughs> yeah, people love RVD. Like you look at, like when you're a kid, he's one of the he's one of the guys you always jump to on, um, like SmackDown. Here comes the pain. Like you look at so many different career modes that are using um, RVD as their yeah. main guy. I'm I'm sure as well. I remember reading or even an interview with him. Like at this time as well, he was like he was carrying like a calf injury or something, so he wasn't even at 100. percent but that match he had with Cena was 
just vintage RVD. It's than vintage RVD. It wasn't like a genuine RVD. Well, yeah, we're gonna get that from Cena. <laughs> Not 2006 Cena now. <laughs> like two, 2015 Cena hit the city. That's all we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it, it was just because it, it was a bit different to the most of the others on the list yeah absolutely i think i think they i think they should do something like that a bit more just to i know that they like the fact that it's a surprise it keeps you tuning in i mean look at the carmella reign for example where she held it for nigh on a year i think (laughs) it's good to say right well there's the contract i'm cashing in in fact braun Strowman did it as well actually he did it on before SummerSlam. Where he, oh yeah, just it was the worst cash in, the worst one of, cash one in. Of the, one of only two field cash ins. More than two. There's been four. Sandow, Punk, Corbin. Oh yeah. There's but been Corbin's four. Well, Not Punk. I'm seeing it. Corbin. Um, I think that's it. To be fair, right now, didn't one of the women fail? No, there's been no women's failures at the moment. There has been twenty three attempts in total of Money in the Bank cash-ins with 19 successful cash-ins with a success rate of 82.6%. <laughs> all all of the failures have been males. Um, all three of the women's Money in the Bank cash-ins have been successful. Carmella, Alexa Bliss, and Bailey. Um, so, yeah. Well, Alexa Bliss's one was actually... Um, Bliss's one was actually fairly fucking sick because she... Um interfered in the Ronda Nia Jax matching stole the title and then like the month later got destroyed by Ronda correct she did um so let's move on then to number three on our list now this is another one that Chris really really wanted and with good fucking reasons so we have got Dolph Ziggler the Raw after Wrestlemania 29 this was you talk about crowd reaction and <laughs> the crowd after WrestleMania 29 throughout the show were just chanting Dolph Ziggler's name just over and over and well, over again. And yes, they did yes a lot. They, and... they did. But the Dolph chant, bearing in mind this is the same Dolph Ziggler who's completely irrelevant now. That noise was absolutely... And then when he runs down and cashes in on Alberto Del Rio, then almost fucking loses because, you know, the WWE had been a little bit hesitant to pull the trigger on this guy, and he manages to overcome the odds. You know, Alberto Del Rio has got this armbar locked in on Ziggler, and you just assume, oh, fuck, Ziggler's going to lose, isn't he? But he wins, he beats Alberto Del Rio, he cashes in, he becomes the champion. And it was just... A massive sum, almost an exhale around the around the building because people just assumed that Ziggler was going to fail, and he didn't. He was the big baby face, and he won. It was amazing. Chris? I thought... Sorry. <laughs> um, Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's super weird. Like, 2012, 2012-2013, was sort of my peak WWE fandom, and then they decided to become really, really shit. Um, it's like the Del Rio 
Rain was boring really flat because Delrio just does not work as a babyface in WWE because he doesn't try in WWE. Like the reason he's a good babyface in say like Lucha Underground is because he tried Lucha Underground. Um, so like no one was really accepting him. He had sort of a wank match for like both Swagger. And like for me, that twenty nine crowd was unforgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, like seriously, seriously, seriously unforgiving. Like um, boring chance throughout the whole night. The Mexican ways, like this reputation that Hulkamania crowd had. This is sort of where it came from. Like yeah, it was bad at the time, but like they weren't nearly as reckless as they were here. And then WWE tried to spin it into a PR thing, and people were like now we're going to make it worse. Um, is it? For, what's the worst? Oh yeah, it's when it was a women's match. Actually, I think it might have been in this one. It was like Nikki Bella, Brie Bella, um, AJ, and Naomi. I think it was, and they were chanting like "You fuck Cena," <laughs> um, or like "You fuck Punk," "You fuck," it was shit like that. And um, yeah, so, so like to see this crowd, like honestly, got popped or something was amazing. Like people seem to forget how like over Ziggler was. Like, this is before. This is like when Ring of Honor was still fairly niche, um, and and shit like that. This is before like indie became like the new way of things. So like Dolph Ziggler stood out, whereas now he's sort of like he comes off as just some generic indie geek who wouldn't even get over in like Rocky um, Discovery, my local fed. But like back then, he seemed special and. It was like, oh, he's anti-authority because um, he put um, heel on his tights. So that must be so bad. No, like in our head, thinking um, this wasn't all fucking pre-planned, but still. Um, and then he came out and was like, oh my god. And then like when that block, when that armbar was locked in, I was like, no. Like <laughs> everyone thought because like the precedent had been set the year before. Cena lost his money in the bank, and Dolph Ziggler was a lesser man than Cena. Although Dolph Ziggler had beat Cena to retain his money in the bank. It's all a bit weird. AJ was involved somehow, Big E was there, but he became world champion, and it was great, and then he got concussed and lost it. Uh, payback, mm. but still. <laughs> Just to give you an indication, if you haven't seen this cash-in, the phrase blow the roof off the place is a little bit of a tired trope you know you think oh well that's a you know a mildly big reaction you just assume that they blow because wwe fans at the moment they're not the most vocal in positive ways you know it doesn't feel like things get the big reaction honestly this is up there with the biggest raw moments the biggest raw pop of mo- that I can think of in modern WWE. I mean, you think about post-Mania Raw, just post-Mania Raw, can you think of any that are bigger than Ziggler's pop? I mean, you've got Lesnar's return, which was enormous. Um, Brian coming out after he finally won the title. Yeah. Absolutely, but I still think that Ziggler pop is up there. I still think the Ziggler pop is up there. The Rock's return, I still think Ziggler's pop was big because he was that over at that point. The fans had taken over Ziggler and claimed them, claimed, sorry, the fans had claimed Ziggler as their own. I think it was a, I think when he won the championship and pop was, it was another one where it was relief because everyone thought, shit, he's going to, lose it and then he didn't 
and it was like it was a, like a relief as well, like a sag. But what I liked about it was the fact that before Ziggler had come out, Del Rio had his match and then he was selling the injury to his leg. And then Ziggler came down straight away, worked the leg, and that's how he got out of the armbar because he twisted the ankle or, or he didn't punch his leg or something like that, his injured leg. That's the only way he would have ever got out of it because of that injury. And that that's pre-planning was really sort of well thought out. And uh, that's like, I think that played into the whole story that the fans were on as well. They would take on this match that Del Rio had and the injury then, knowing that Ziggler could have lost out there if it wasn't for that injury sort of thing. It was just like a whole sort of relief and joy at the same time that their man was getting the thing. Because at that time, Ziggler was getting like a massive push. And he was delivering. His matches were good. His promos were really, really good. He had Biggie and AJ with him. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they were all really working really well. Um, it was like a sort of perfect storm of stuff. So it was really good. Really good match. Really good sort of time for Ziggler as well. I've never like disliked Ziggler. I've always kind of liked him. He just sort of sort of meddles around. He gets him a tits nowadays because he refuses to change. Like his character hasn't changed in years. Yeah. Like we, like on the young line, we ranted about. We used to rant about Goa's um, lack of character change. Ziggler's worse. Yeah, I think so. I think he's sort of desperately clinging to this moment in WWE <laughs> where he was possibly, aside from Daniel Bryan, he was the most over thing in the company. It's not just well, Punk at the time. But also, um, the weirdest thing about... Well, not the weirdest, the most annoying thing about it is because, like, well, like before, like, you could draw comparisons to a Shawn Michaels and you see the kit, but you could also draw, like, Mr. Perfect comparisons. You could draw, um, like, multiple comparisons with Ziggler, and now it's literally just, oh, he's trying to be Shawn Michaels. Like, the amount of times he does for hanging on, the um, one for touching the floor in a battle royal spot, Shawn Michaels did that once in his whole fucking career. And it was the biggest thing ever. And then Ziggler just keep doing it. Like, it's the BP Priestley problem of, like, he doesn't seem to understand that just because people enjoy seeing being done by other people doesn't mean it's getting you over. I don't know, like, half the time he's only ever decent as a foil to a moral person now. And, like, he's sort of... He's never going to be 2013 Dolph again. He's not ever going to be 2016 Dolph again, which is fine, but just retire, man. Yeah, for me, 2016 and that feud with The Miz was probably the last time Dolph Ziggler was close to anything even approaching relevancy. You know who's, who, who he was dating around that time? Nikki Bella. No, no, that was in like 2010. Around that time, he was dating Amy Schumer. Who, sorry? Yeah. yeah so, uh... Have you ever seen... I saw an interview with her. Do you want to know why they broke up? Because he's a shit comedian. No. <laughs> well, I'm... Let's be honest, Amy Schumer would not would have no means to. Oh, judge I've heard this. I've heard um, this. Do you know why Amy you know Schumer broke up with Dolph Ziggler? I do, yes. Why is it then? Uh, because he was too athletic in bed. Yep. <laughs> now, now that. Yeah. Lit- <laughs> that is the greatest ex girlfriend comment you can ever have. I mean, yeah. fair play, Amy Schumer. Just a really amicable breakup, and she, he was just like, "Look, can you put me over on your way out?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> 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 Listen, 
listen, mate, I'm on my way out the company. We just put me over. <laughs> like, just... <laughs> literally. It's, it's, it's the thing. It's the thing with this. You put over some, you put over someone before they um, before you head out of territory. So. <laughs> right. Makes us sound like such. Makes us sound like a proper lazy coward, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I like how I like how like he made a bunch of like references and then Gaff said so, in all seriousness to me though it sounds like he's a shit racer like <laughs> <laughs> Oh well he went to Uzi didn't he afterwards didn't he go to uh, Sunny after that Did he? Huh? Oh no yeah I, I, this is a rumour I've heard I don't know if it's confirmed but... I'm sure Sunny confirmed it Yeah I'm too bad It's so it's a super weird one though. Like it's sort of like how you'll go see um, your favorite band from the sixties, but if actually know they're gonna be bad. <laughs> are, you, Except, are you comparing Sonny to Led Zeppelin? Well, Led Zeppelin aren't a band anymore. More Sonny to Paul, to Paul McCartney. Or the Who. Or the Who. Yeah, good point. Um. Anyway, <laughs> let's move away from the horrible comparison of Sonny to all of our favourite 60s bands, and move on to number two. And for me, these top two are relatively interchangeable. I think they're both iconic for different reasons. Um, But at number two, we've put, unsurprisingly to some of you perhaps, we've put Edge at New Year's Revolution 2006. Um, Not only was this the first... Money at the uh, money in the bank cash in, and it is worth saying that that ladder match from WrestleMania 21 between Edge, Benoit, Jericho, Shelton Benjamin, Kane, and Christian for me is top three, if not the greatest money in the bank ladder match. I can't really think of any that are better than what they did um, at WrestleMania 21. To be honest, I think your favourite Money in the Bank ladder match is your first Money in the Bank ladder match. Yeah, I... I the first yeah, time I mean, you see one, it's going to blow your fucking mind. It was brand new as well. It was I brand new, that. yeah. I watched yeah. that shit live, and it absolutely fucking blew my mind. My, the first um, match, wrestling match I ever watched was a Money in the Bank match. Nice. It was... WrestleMania 20, 23, what was it? It was for Hardy's, Edge, um, Finley, Mr. Kennedy, Booker, and Orton. Some, uh, Randy Orton, and someone else, and it was amazing. <laughs> Mr. Kennedy won. <laughs> Kennedy won, and then got a drug test, so Edge had to take the, the um, had to take the briefcase off. <laughs> yep. Um, he is the only wrestler to lose the briefcase without cashing it in. So, what an excellent statistic for good old Mister Kennedy. Yeah, what an F. Kennedy. Um, yeah. Oh, punk. That was the other guy. Um. Anyway. Um. Yeah. So, this it's super weird how it happened because um the elimination chamber finish and there's no precedent for how this money bank could be used. So like. That Vince McMahon came out going, someone wants to cash in their money in the bank. And it's like, oh, I wonder who it could be. Oh, this really edge-shaped person just walked out. Um, and, yeah, two spears, and it was a good one. <laughs> that's the best thing about that. That's what I liked about it at the time. It was just like, it was unprecedented. So you didn't, 
nobody actually knew the, the rules, which had changed since obviously then. And it was like, he came out, he was the heel. Nobody knew what to do. No, like the crowd didn't even know what the fuck to do. They didn't know whether to cheer or what was going to happen. And then he obviously comes out with a leader and it's like, like you say, like wham, bam, thank you, man. Uh, pins seen and gets away. But the crowd are like cheering. It's like, hang on, isn't, isn't Edge the bad guy here? <laughs> yeah, but also like Edge was this guy who's been around for ages and they never really gave him a proper shake with I've seen this guy like the old IC yeah. type of like I in the mid two thousands you can hardly come back as a good thing. Um what gets me is that we did the same thing um like five years later with Batista but he had no money in the bag match so literally for no reason Vince just came out and said yeah there's one more guy to face you and then Batista comes out for no reason. So Part of the reason this sticks out for me was because I want to read out the rest of the card of New Year's Revolution to you. So this is what we had. We had Ric Flair defeating Edge for the Intercontinental Championship. So Edge had already lost in the opening match, and it was a really good match. Then we had Trish Stratus versus Mickey James. Jerry Lawler defeating Gregory Helms. Uh, Triple H beating Big Show. Shelton Benjamin with Mama Benjamin, defeated Viscera, Ashley Mazzaro defeated Candice Michelle, Maria Canellis, Tori Wilson and Victoria in a bra and panties gauntlet match. That was what did you rate that one? That was the third longest match on the fucking card. Just what it sounds like you watched this, so what did you rate that? That was a dud. That was a dud. Oh dud. Oh. Yeah. One hundred percent dud. Um no fact no, of the card. No, nothing at all. So we then get to the Elimination Chamber match and it's John Cena, Carlito, Chris Masters, Shawn Michaels, Kane and Kurt Angle. And it starts with John Cena, who is the champion at the time, but he opens the Chamber with, I think it was Shawn, yeah, Shawn Michaels. So not only has he been through an Elimination Chamber, he was number one in the Elimination Chamber. He started the Elimination Chamber, managed to fight off all these people to retain his championship. And then, you know, there's this big reaction when John Cena wins because John Cena is still over in 2006. People aren't chanting, John Cena sucks just yet. Um, And then suddenly, Edge just walks in and goes, in a bit, mate, two spears, bang, done. And for me, this is where the ultimate opportunist was born. And it was yeah. such a great fucking gimmick. It really was. And he, he played it as more than just a nickname. And this, for me, was the making of Edge. As Edge, the character of Edge, the person who would go on and be one of, in my opinion, the greatest superstars in modern well, WWE. This was you great. Look, you look after this, so like, um, this was 2005. There's not, there's not. I don't. I think you might saying between 2005 and 2011 was the year where Edge was world champion at some point in it. Yeah. Um, also the year where he didn't fight Cena about ten times as well. I was just gonna say that feud. Like um, 2006, he was champ. Seven, eight, nine, maybe 2010. Was he champion at all in 2010? Um, was 2010 WrestleMania 26? Um, no, he was. He did, yeah, no, he was in 2010. And then he went in 2011 as champion. Legend? 
Until Edge wins Lawler. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you know what? For me, the fact that you didn't have that Preston, which you've already said, Chris, the fact that it's still unique to this day, they'll probably never do that again. And the fact that it was, you know, as they always say, you always remember your first. This was iconic for all the right reasons. It went to the right person. They played it perfectly. And it led to, aside from Punk, probably John Cena's greatest rivalry. I'm going to say that um, the rivalry between Edge and um, Cena was better, but the matches between Punk and Cena were, be- were better than the matches Edge and Cena had. Yeah, I, think, I think it was one of those ones where it was like, in every corner for either Cena or Edge, the other one was there. Yeah. As a stumbling block to every championship at the time. There was always that feud that would happen, and it became quite a sort of endearing thing for them because you knew it was going to happen and they didn't have bad matches the matches were always decent but the, the feud itself was the attraction and that was the promos and their stories and stuff and it was it was always like you knew you knew it was coming but you knew you were going to have fun with it yeah absolutely and I think they made each other better as well I know that Edge certainly elevated Cena and I think Cena got better in the ring by being with Edge, and they constructed great matches. Because Matt Hardy's been in interviews, and Edge's been in interviews, and he said that if you know it was him versus the Hardys or whatever, it'd be those two that would put the matches together. And if Edge was the leading force in putting the matches with Cena together, it makes perfect sense. And I think Cena's benefited from that, you know, from having this arch nemesis that he could never shake. You know, it's like Batman and Joker, isn't it? They without each other, they'd be lost. So I think that sort of worked in their favour and I think this was the real start of it and I think it worked for them so ladies and gentlemen it is time for our eagerly awaited number one money in the bank cash in and of course the answer is Damien Sandow 2013 waited 106 days to cash in on John Cena and lose becoming the first person to lose a cash in Cena, Cena had already lost to Cashin. No, Damien yeah. Sandow was first. No, Cena was first. Cena was the year before, uh, was 2012. N- no, Cena yeah. won, but by DQ. Oh, right. Okay, but never mind. <laughs> Do you know what? I knew you'd say that, and I've got it written down. <laughs> I mean, if you want to be technical about it, John Cena did technically not win Money in the Bank. Well, he didn't technically cash in his contract, but he did it. He won just via DQ. Anyway, of course we're talking bollocks. It's Seth Rollins. Um, It couldn't be anything else at all. That cash in, that moment that he runs down to that main event at WrestleMania 31 and makes it a triple threat. Yeah, he was running for fucking ages. Um... (laughs) It's like that Monty Python thing where the dude's just running towards the castle. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. Um, I mean, going into this, Lesnar versus Reigns was already a good match, but I think they realised that Reigns wasn't getting over the way they wanted him to get over. So 
they decided apparently this was decided on the day of wrestlemania 31 which makes this even better because roman had put his family in the front row and wasn't told about the finish and neither were his family so his family were of the impression that he was going to walk away champion only for seth to win it at the last minute apparently they had to stop roman's family from kicking off after wrestlemania <laughs> which oh christ imagine a bunch of angry samoans just take out seth um but no this this moment is iconic this moment has so many iconic images the running with the suitcase the actual giving it to the referee and then seth standing at the top of the ramp with the belt held in the air it was just it was fantastic it was the first person to cash in his contract at WrestleMania, not just at WrestleMania, but in the main event of WrestleMania. And I will just point out, at this point, he is a heel. He was the heel in WWE. And the eruption of noise. We talked about the Ziggler pop earlier, and I still stand by the fact that that is one of the biggest Raw After Mania pops. But if that was the Raw After Mania pop, this was the WrestleMania pop. At least in, in living memory. This was fucking In epic. living memory, there's only been, been so many WrestleManias. Well, I wasn't alive for the first three, dickhead. Yeah, but like, it's not like World War One where it's basically <laughs> to experience that is dead. Whoa, like, whoa, whoa. Oh, Before World oh, War One. <laughs> well, <laughs> But like, yeah, it's not <laughs> in living memory. It wasn't a fucking historic war. Uh, sorry, Chris. I don't think you remember WrestleMania 29. Anyway. If ever uh, there was a WrestleMania to compare to a global tragedy, it is WrestleMania 29. Well, this is WrestleMania 31. I'm making a point. Okay, well, people seem to forget the run up to this match. Well, not forget, but like what we haven't neglected to mention is like how much Roman was being booed, like how wrestlers almost got mugged on the way after the Royal Rumble set fifteen because mm-hmm. of how angry fans were. Like the Usos literally almost got mugged, and then you have um, the like booze, like constant booze. It's like Vince McMahon going out. Are you saying moo? <laughs> His hands moment in the front row going, I was saying me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, so they booked themselves as an absolute goner because you either have keep the title on Lesnar, where it's not going to be on TV, and I haven't been on TV in a while, and back then that was a weird thing to happen, and now, like, nowadays that's just the norm. Um, so they didn't have any options. The thought of Seth even cashing it in was impossible because Dean Ambrose kept beating him, so like the perfect storm happened where Dean Ambrose was in a ladder match early in the night and got murdered and then um, there seems to be a running thing where someone holding a briefcase loses a high profile match with a member of Evolution earlier in the night, they're probably going to cash in because Seth lost to Randy Orton mm-hmm. and then yeah, ran in and cashed in and to be fair, the match beforehand, because we, re- we actually reviewed this match on the um, classic segment last year was great. It was a really good hard hitting match. It's probably one of the best examples of the modern one of the Brock Lesnar. Yeah, it probably is Reigns' best 
match mm-hmm. really well, to be fair. And um, it's probably the best example of a modern-day um, Lesnar formula without being in there with someone who's insanely amazing, like Styles or Bryant. I think that one, it was a case of, like, they both just said, right, let's just go as hard <laughs> as we can. Yeah, let's just murder each other yeah. and, like, see how that goes. Um, so, yeah, like, how desperate Seth looks when he gets in, like, how he, like, like, this, is ha- this is happening now. And, like, and I just, maniacal look on his face. Yeah, it's not just maniacal look, but he's maniacal when he's coming in, but as soon as he's in the moment, he's panicking. Like, there's no... Like, he can't hide it behind a sneer. He was like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. Especially when um, his first curb stomp gets broken up. Because, like, mm-hmm. he was like, right, I can't pin Lesnar. No one's pinning Lesnar. I have to go through ranks. So it was like, curb stomp, Lesnar out. It was, so, like, it booked himself out of the corner because they had a champion that people were excited to see. Um, Roman could have a little redemption act. And then um, Lesnar is the unstoppable monster hasn't actually been beaten. So... Mm-hmm. As opposed to now where you can beat him by like 10 different people, but you know. And it was like the perfect intermania. Well, sort of. Yeah, but kind of. There's no Tai Chi involved, but you know, there's only so much you can do on WWE's budget, so. I think it was the best that they could do with that main event. Chris, you've mentioned the Royal Rumble 2015, which was a car crash. Um, because obviously <laughs> they... that match literally caused Justin Gabriel to quit because they gave his spot away to the Dudley man. I mean, I think I'd quit if my spot was given away to a person whose main gimmick is to eat worms. Yeah, could of course Justin Gabriel be only um, proud African person who's not a, a racist gimmick as covered on the last year anyway. <laughs> um. But yeah, no, we didn't really want to see Lesnar as the champion. His contract was up, so people knew he was dropping it. People just assumed it would be two reigns, um, who oh, no, they weren't behind. But then, like two days before, it was announced there was an extension. Uh, ah. that he just signed for another until thirty-three, and then they did the same thing at thirty-two. Mm-hmm. So to then have Seth cash in in the way that he did, in a unique way that he did, in the unique way he did it, it just it was the perfect way to end that WrestleMania. Yes, it was a heel winning and a heel standing tall, which, as we know, Vince doesn't like when it comes to WrestleManias. But for this, WWE successfully managed to book themselves out of the ridiculous corner they booked themselves into in the first place. And it was for a lot of people. Like, for example, the Brock Lesnar will be lead to do UFC trope has been basically the story of, what, the last five Manias? We said from like 32, like 33, it was a thing, 34 was a thing, 35 was a thing, it's sort of like, stop. <laughs> Just stop. Um, and then like, the shield in place, that wasn't quite fired yet, because Seth versus Roman wasn't a few that happened yet. And yeah, like, just throws an overall sense of optimism, especially with the night after Mania, because Neville came up, seen as Seth his open challenge. 2015 started really good, it didn't end very good. But, like, the middle was decent. Like, you had the terrifying highs, the lowest of lows, but then a really creamy middle. Nice. (laughs) Did you just say nice because of the cream? Just because of the creamy bit? (laughs) 
And on that bombshell, ladies and gentlemen, that is our countdown of our top six cash ins. Now, did we miss any out in your opinion? Tell us how you loved Seamus in 2015 and how you loved Damien Sandow's and Jack Swaggers in the comments. Uh, whilst you're doing that, subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on all podcasting platforms. Please leave us a review. Subscribe to the podcast. It really helps us out. You can talk to us on Twitter at, at Podmania. Uh, join the new Facebook group, uh, Podmania Podcasts. And yeah, you can talk to me on Twitter at, at Real Rob Goodwin. Where can they find you, Garth? Craft Mania. Uh, <laughs> um, that was a deceptively good impression. And Chris, where can they find you? Underneath the landslide in a champagne season over in the sky. And and Boosty on Twitter. I was just going to say, I don't think that fits as a Twitter handle. I'll be perfectly honest. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you guys again soon. You've been listening to the Podmania Pro Wrestling Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Podmania, Facebook at Podmania Podcasts, and YouTube and Instagram at RealPodmania. And check out the website, podmania.co.uk. Until next time, wrestling fans.
You've been listening to the Podmania Pro Wrestling Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Podmania, Facebook at Podmania Podcasts, and YouTube and Instagram at RealPodmania. And check out the website, podmania.co.uk. Until next time, wrestling fans... 